You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, again, good morning, Anthem Church. If you have your Bibles, smartphones, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 21 today. So we've been studying Genesis all semester. So Genesis chapter 21, and as you turn there, what we're going to see in today's text is that God, he knows it all, he sees it all, he hears it all, and it is, it is unbelievable to have a God that just, in his sovereignty, knows all, sees all, hears all. Now, just by way of observation and introduction, we are created in the image of God, and it seems like mothers have been given like this special ability too, to like see all, hear all. You know what I'm talking about? Like you can be looking for something for hours. And then finally you give in. You're like, hey, mom, have you seen? Oh, yeah, third shelf on the left. Like, there it is, right? Like, moms just see it all, right? Moms also hear everything, too. Point in case, just yesterday was uh, doing a wedding for a young couple here in our church, Josh and Haley. They got married. God held off the rain. Unbelievable. But get done officiating this wedding. And I, ha- I had this thought, and I think I mouthed something out loud. I'm like, man, I'm kind of thirsty. I kid you not. The, the, the bride's mother was 40 yards away. And she said, did you say you need something to drink? We can get you <laughs> I was like, D- you heard me? She's like, yeah, we'll get you something. I'm like, okay, moms truly like see everything. They hear everything. Nothing is lost on them. And you, I just begin to imagine, it's like, okay, if that's how good moms are, how much so, like more so is God? His ability to like see it all, hear it all, and he just knows it all. And we're going to see that in today's text in, uh, in, as we look at Genesis 21. And so with your Bibles open, just want to start reading. In Genesis 21, verse 1, it says this, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Now, now time out. If you're just new visiting, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. And again, these are the people that God chose to raise up a whole nation, which is a little intriguing because here they were. They didn't have any kids to speak of. In fact, she was barren, but yet God promised to them saying, no, I will raise up a nation from you. You will give birth to a son. And when Abraham first heard that, he's like, really, God? Because you know we're old, right? And he kind of laughed at the thought of it. And Sarah also laughed. She's like, no, that's, that's not going to happen. God's like, do you laugh? He's like, no, I didn't laugh. But it is, it, it was something they're like, that can't happen. And at this point, Sarah's pushing 90 years old. And Abraham is 100 years old. And it said in verse 1 that, that the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son whom he had born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said uh, to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's time out there. I mean, this is just miraculous what has happened. In fact, she's saying 
everybody that hears of this is just going to respond with laughter. It is so absurd what God has done. It is humorous. And I can imagine, you know, moms kind of like when they get nine months pregnant, the, the walk starts to shift, you know? And so I can, like, I don't know if, if she was already kind of waddling, like with the, the older grandma kind of waddle, but then you put a, like a beach ball in front too. And so you can just imagine like how humorous it would have been. And she's like walking around and for some reason, moms, they like kind of hold their belly up, you know, at that point. And like, it, as she's like walking around, uh, she's like, I know it's crazy, right? And then Baby comes forth and she's nursing the child. She's like, this is crazy, right? The initial response when they heard about was laughter. And she's saying, everybody's going to laugh when they see this, when they hear this. So we're going to name the baby. Let's just name him Laughter. That's what Isaac means. If you have a little footnote, that's what his name means is just laughter, which was their initial response to the whole idea. Now, aren't you kind of glad that we don't always name babies after the initial response? Because I feel like there would be a whole, like, group uh, of kids, like, in the same classroom, like, named Uh (laughs) Uh-Oh. You know, it's like, there's uh Uh-Oh, there's no way, and and over there's whoops, you know? Uh, Like, for me, for for my family, you know, with four daughters, I feel like the last few would have shared the same name. It was like, another girl? (laughs) Middle name? Like, are you you sure? but the initial response was laughter. And, and so that is what they called him. Like, his name's laughter, translated Isaac. And so God keeps his promise. And again, if you've been with us 24 years in the making, he made this promise, but it's 24 years later after the initial promise. When they heard it 24 years prior, it was hilarious. And now pushing 90 and 100, it's got to just be absurd. And so laughter is the name. And here's the thing. God keeps his promise. If you're taking notes, if he said it, he will do it. He's a promise keeper. It's worth mentioning, though, like the flip of that, God should not be on the hooks for things he never promised to us directly. And there's a lot of just kind of misrepresentation. It's like God promised Jeremiah saying, hey, here's what, I'm going to, I have plans for you to prosper you, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? That's a great promise for Jer- Jeremiah, but is that the promise for us? Because he also, for Job, had a different plan. And so if God hasn't personally promised you something, please don't put him on the hook for something he never promised to you personally. But if he has promised it, God keeps his promises. If he said it, he will do it. Now, there's a common theme on how God keeps his promise. I love just going through uh, just a Bible reading plan right now. In the Old Testament, you see this over and over again, the theme of how God keeps his promises. If you're familiar with the story of Joshua, uh, Joshua is leading Israel into this land, this land that actually Abraham's at right now. And God said, hey, I promise I am going to give you this land. All these vineyards that you didn't plant, they're going to be yours. Homes you didn't build, they're going to be yours. But here's how God fulfills that promise. First place, Jericho, here's what I need you to do. We're going to do this marching routine for a week, and that's how I'm going to give it to you. And they just march around the city, and then the walls come down. Really? Like, that's how we're going to do it, God? You look at that Gideon and his army. He has 35,000 soldiers that are supposed to go up against 135,000. But how God fulfills that promise is saying, Gideon, we are going to win this. We're going to drive them away. 
but, but I need you to cut your army from 35,000 down to 300. And 300 end up routing an army of 135,000. In fact, 120,000 fall by the sword in battle. There's a way that God keeps his promises. He, he says, I promise to provide a savior, a king of kings. But he's going to be born in a stable, laid in a manger, and the first people that are going to visit him are shepherds. See, God keeps his promises in just these unthinkable ways. Why 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are, which are mighty. God oftentimes uses ordinary for extraordinary. That way there is no confusion as to who the glory belongs to. That's even the explanation he gives Gideon. He's like, oh, if 35 beat 135, you might get the glory, so let's cut it down to 300. That way anybody who hears of the story is like, man, <laughs> that's a God thing. And so oftentimes, God will use ordinary, simple things. And so that is why Abraham and Sarah are perfect candidates to build a nation from. It's like, wait, you're old, you're barren, you are traveling around in hostile foreign land? Yeah, you're perfect <laughs> for what I'm trying to do here. Does that make sense? If you feel like you're underqualified, you just might be at the top of God's list for people to use. Does that make sense? Because God wants to bring glory to himself. And so throughout, and you're perhaps even thinking of stories throughout Scripture where that's the case over and over again. But you might think, well, I'm not smart enough. I'm the only Christian in my work. I, I don't think I have the gifts to do that. Keep going. It just seems like you're just addressing yourself. That's the perfect resume for God to use. In fact, saw this recently, just this semester in our college ministry. There's a young gal who was working on campus doing this job with a number of others, and there was only one other, other Christian in all of her work environment. And not only that, the work environment was one of those where it's, it's fairly antagonistic towards just being a Christian. And I'm sure, you know, that gal probably is thinking, like, I haven't gone through seminary training. Like, can I really, you know, have these conversations with these people? But oftentimes, light shines brightest in dark places, and she just faithfully begins to share the love with her coworkers, knowing that, that they're not going to come to church with her, so she's just got to take church to them, right? And by God's grace, how that story continues is she gets to lead one of her coworkers to come to know Jesus. And to see that gal baptized here at Anthem just a few months ago, like God is doing something. And, and now together they're going back into that workplace and continuing to just share the love of Jesus with people. And you look at that and you're like, man, to God be the glory. Using ordinary people and getting to use them in extraordinary ways. And when God does that, really, to him be the glory and us be the joy. And so, praising God for that gal putting herself out there, but for Abraham and Sarah, they're unlikely couple, but it makes them perfect candidates for what God wants to do. And people would have looked at them, and they would have looked at Isaac, and they would have just laughed, and like, there is something extraordinary going on here. Like, extraordinary. This is not explainable apart from the hand of God being on your life. And 
I just envision Abraham and Sarah just laughing the whole way. Like, I know, it's, it's hilarious. Praise God. But if you've been with us in the narrative, Sarah and Abraham didn't always trust God. Right? And we're going to see that come up. There's a few stints where they said, God, not your will be done, but my will be done. And if you remember the story, Abraham took another wife at one point. Sarah said, here, maybe this is what God meant. Maybe you're supposed to sleep with my servant, Hagar. And he did that. She conceived and gave birth to Ishmael 14 years prior to Isaac. And so do you think that that might prevent an interesting family dynamic? Yeah, let's look. Verse 8. And the child, that's Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day. And Isaac, that, that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Okay? Let's stop there. And you get this idea like, there's supposed to be this big party, but here, this, this son that's 14 years older is laughing. Perhaps your translation uh, translates that to just mocking his baby half-brother. And you just begin to think, like, what is going on in a person, like, to be mocking, like, a, a small child, right? There is some serious family dysfunction taking place here when that's the response. And, and here's the thing. Sin is messy. And there's some the past sin, and it has created a, a mess. And God is not obligated to spare us from all the messy consequences of former sin, He'll spare us from the judgment of hell if we trust Jesus. But in terms of the consequences of sin, sometimes those things continue on. Does that make sense? So he doesn't spare Abraham and Sarah the consequences of their past sin. That past sin being the faithless action of him sleeping with Hagar, resulting in the birth of Ishmael. That's the past sin in the present kind of dysfunction that it does is that these two brothers are at odds and one is mocking the other. And so for some, I just want to pause and be like, please don't be mad at God. He's provided salvation, but some of us are still paying the consequences for past sin. You're still having to like live at that reality. And I just want to be, be clear, like God doesn't owe us, like once we repent, like to just remove all that. Sometimes there's, you're going to live in that reality. I saw this played out, I was, I was pastoring uh, an individual one time that just made some bad financial investments. Just, it's like, oh, it's plastic. You just swipe it and they give you stuff you want. And, and then one of the things was a big purchase and they didn't read the, the fine print on a, on a real estate transaction and paid way too much, got way too little, and was just kind of stuck with this property that they couldn't do much. They came to realize the error of their way and say, man, I should have been praying about these things. I should have sought wise counsel I didn't. God, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? To which, rest assured, God's like, yes, I forgive you. Okay, great. And I remember that individual was like, man, I acknowledged it. Whew, good. Now, now God can just go ahead and sell that thing, right? I'm like, you're 20% over the market value of that property. Your neighbors are listed for much less the same thing. I'm like, I'm sorry, but like, I don't think I'll, God is obligated to like sell your terrible investment. 
But it's like, but I acknowledge, I, I repented, I, I realized I was wrong. It's like, yeah, that's great. You're forgiven. You're going to lose a lot of money, though, on this, this property. See, God's not obligated to clean up all those past messes. There's forgiveness, and so you can rest assured in that, but there are still some consequences for that sin that get, gets kind of like lived out, and you see that here in this story. And they're feeling that in this moment. And so, so Ishmael laughs at his baby brother. And so here's what happens in verse 10. And this is going to get painful. So she, being Sarah, said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And that very thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of uh, the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to, to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. Let's time out there. Man, I'm, I'm at least glad in this kind of mention that Abraham is displeased as what is taking place. Verse 11. Because the first time, and some of you are like, there's a first time? This is the second time Hagar is being sent out into the wilderness. The first time, Abraham's pretty removed from the whole thing. He realizes it's a mess. He's like, Sarah, hey, whatever you want to do with her, that's fine. Sarah's response is, okay, I'm going to treat her so harshly that this pregnant lady is going to run out into the wilderness and take her chances there versus staying here. And seemingly in that account, Abraham's pretty removed from it all. But this time, he's displeased. He's bothered. And, and you see this, that, that uh, it says uh, that Abraham rose early in the morning perhaps suggesting that he never slept that night. He hears about this. He realizes that he's going to send Ishmael away with Hagar, and he just, perhaps he's wrestling with that all night long. And so he, he's up early because he, he just never went to bed. I think there's a, a plausible explanation for that. But he has this promise that he's going to make Ishmael into this nation. And, and so even in the wilderness, we're going to see that God provides, that he keeps his promise. And so Hagar and Ishmael get sent out into the wilderness with a skin of water and some bread. How's it continue? Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she sat down opposite him a good way, about a distance of a bow shot. And she said, let me not look on the death of the child. As she sat opposite of him, she lifted her voice and wept. I just want to simmer in the reality of what's taking place here. They wander out into the wilderness. They get to a point where they run out of water, and things look so bleak that it seems like death is inevitable at this point. And so what this mother does is she sets her child in one direction. She's saying, I can't Stand to hear the cries. We're going to see that he's crying out in verse 17. He's crying in, in just 
it's so much pain. I can't stand to hear that. So he's going to sit here and he'll die here and I'll go die over there. That's where they're at in this narrative. And I can't imagine, I was just in studying this, trying to think of Ishmael. Can you imagine the confusion? And, And where he's at when it says the boy cried out in verse 17, that boy, 14 years older than his baby brother. But then from the time that he's like, they weaned a child, he's more likely 16 to 18 years old, pretty easy. And so hardly a boy in some regards probably has all the appearances of a a young man. But can you imagine what is going on in his soul at that point? I mean, this was his dad, and I, I, I get it, but, but this was his dad, and, and certainly I believe Abraham had a love for his child that was born to him. And I get it, it wasn't with his original wife, Sarah, but nonetheless, there's got to be a connection. In fact, Abraham shows great concern over his knuckleheaded nephew, Lot, where he's willing to go to war for him. He's vexing the soul. He's begging God for Lot. What do you think his relationship was like with his son? Again, we see in verse 11, he's displeased, but nonetheless, he is sending him away. Can you imagine how confusing that must have been for Ishmael? And what started it all? The fact that he was mocking his baby brother. And we don't know from scripture, but I can only imagine. He's probably through tears, apologizing, saying, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean it. I'm sorry, I won't do it again. You gotta go. I imagine, I, you could only imagine that that crying out started the moment they were leaving camp. And here they are wandering in the wilderness, dehydrated, hungry, and stinking alone. And he is just broken. And Hagar is just broken. And again, this relationship is just seemingly severed. He's crying out in verse 17. God's going to keep his promise. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called the Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Anthem Church, what we're going to see is God, he knows. He sees He hears. None of this is lost on him. He sees it all. He hears it, and God responds. I think of Psalm 139. It says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Verse 11, If I say, Surely darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, even in the darkness will not be dark to you. For night will shine like day. And darkness is as light to you. You cannot escape the immeasurable glory of God. He is a father to the fatherless, Psalm 68, 5 says. And so he's going to tell Hagar, he says, up, in verse 18, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the boy, uh, the boy to drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. Here's what we see throughout this narrative. God knows, he sees, he hears, and he keeps his promise to Abraham to provide for his son Ishmael. So the reality is your water can't run out without God knowing of it. 
Your bread can't get low without God knowing of it because he knows, he sees, he hears, and he is good. Now, some of you, I think you see that clearly in the text, but it isn't personal enough for you. Like, I know, like, I know he provided for them, but what about me? What about my situation? Do you have something like that where you're like, I kind of feel like I'm in the wilderness, God, and you've done it for them, but what about me and my situation? My heart is heavy with this, and God, will you take care of that? Will you save me? To which scripture tells us eternally, yes. Like for those who trust in Jesus Christ, we will be saved from the punishment of our sin, saved from hell and live forever with God. But in terms of your physical situation, I'd be lying if I said I knew. Like, Mike, I don't know what God's going to do with your cancer, but I know where your soul's at. Secure. I don't know what God's going to do with your infertility. I don't know what God's going to do with your house, your, 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 your finances. I don't know what God's going to do with the baby in your womb. Like, I, I don't know. And anybody that just blows smoke, aside from a promise of God, anybody that says, oh, God's just going to provide and it's all going to be magical, nah, we don't know. Apart from a promise directly from God, I don't know. But we do know this. That God knows, he sees, he hears, and it's worth crying out for healing, crying out for mercy. It's not wrong to cry out, but we can't lose sight of the cross throughout that. It's reality that God has provided for us in the best way possible, and that's through Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, salvation. Everything else is a distant second. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter but it does mean this, that God can be no more good to us than he already has been through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first and most important thing. Everything else is secondary to that. Again, it, it matters. Cry out. Like, does God care about perhaps the little things, the small things? Well, he has to because everything's small to him. And so God cares. And so by all means, cry out, but don't Forget in your crying out that God is good to us. He's provided in a much better way for us than he even did for Ishmael and Hagar because he met our spiritual needs for all eternity. That's first. These other things, Mike, I'm not saying I don't want to see God be healed, but it is secondary. Because for all eternity, we can be made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Anthem, I'm, this has implications for us. The fact that God knows, he sees, he hears, he keeps his promises, he is good, it has implications for us here and now today. And again, I, I said it, God, yeah, he does care about the little things, because we're going to see even in this text that it ends with Abraham fighting over a well, like a well of water. It's like we had a life or death situation just a few lines ago, and now we're talking about a well. But God provides for him in that too. And in response, Abraham plants a tree and he says, God, you are everlasting. Meaning you are good, you are unchanging, you are trustworthy, you are faithful. God provides in the big things and the little things. And all of them speak to his goodness. And you see that Abraham really starts to lean into that. One, from the name he gives God. You're an everlasting God. But two, from the action. He starts to believe it. You know why? How I know that? He plants a tree, right? Keaton, Sarah, you guys just bought a tree, like bought a house. If you start planting a tree, 
it suggests you think you're going to be there for a while. Does that make sense? Like planting a tree, typically you don't like get some huge tree and plant it. They start out small. They're not going to provide shade. They're not going to provide fruit for a few years. And so when you quite literally put down roots in that way, it suggests, this suggests that Abraham truly believes God is going to give him this land, that he might not get shade from that tree, but his grandbabies will someday. And so he trusts God is everlasting, that he will provide, will keep his promise. And he just literally, literally puts down roots there next to this well. I want us to be able to put down roots today, Anthem Church, in that truth, trusting that God knows, he sees, he hears your situation, and he is good. What he's going to do with your exact situation, cry out, pray. But what he's going to do with your souls, he's going to offer salvation through Jesus. We know he's got that covered. And so he is good. 